Welcome to Harvest Time. My name is Chris Harper, and our host on this program is Pastor Gary Walton, the lead pastor of Harvest Baptist Church. We spend these 25 minutes together every week telling you the stories of our church as we interview our members and other friends of the ministry. We have two services at Harvest every Sunday, the first at 8.45 a.m., the second at 10.45 a.m. We'd love to see you at either service. We do have Japanese and Korean translation available during the 10.45 a.m. service, and that's also when we live stream. You can find that at hbcguam.org, hbcguam.org. This week, Dr. Bob Jones will be speaking from 2 Corinthians 4.16 on Next Step Eternity. Let's begin today's harvest time by welcoming Pastor Gary Walton. Hi, Pastor. Hey, Hoppaday, Chris. Glad to be with you again today, and we're very privileged to have in the studio Dr. Bob Jones III, who is here uh, visiting, and as you just mentioned, Chris, he'll be speaking at church on Sunday. We'll talk about that in a minute, but first of all, welcome, Dr. Bob. We're so glad to have you back on campus and back on island. Thank you, Pastor. Uh, I've been privileged to be here at Harvest uh, quite a number of times. And I'm refreshed greatly each time, and I, each time I see tremendous progress in the facilities and uh, in the outreach of, of this work on the island of Guam. Thanks for your leadership and your pastorate here. Uh, we're so honored to have you here. Chris mentioned uh, that you'll be preaching, so uh, those that are listening, we'd love to invite you to come on Sunday and have an opportunity to hear Dr. Bob uh, in both of the services. I think you gave the times, Chris, but uh, we were just talking before we uh, got on the air here about the message. Uh, the message title is Next Stop Eternity, and uh, you just said... Um, you think God's maybe coming soon, and eternity's on your heart. I think eternity is very close. Of course, it's only one breath away from saint and sinner alike. Uh, next stop from this world is eternity, either eternity with the Lord or eternity separated from Him uh, in uh, the place of uh, of His divine wrath and the goodness of God, the love of God caused him to send his son to this world to die on that cross and take our wrath that we deserve to take and uh, to give us in exchange uh, his eternal life. And uh, it's, uh, it's an awful thought to think of people hearing this program today who may, before the program is even over, find themselves in eternity mm. in that terrible place called hell, God's great prison house called hell, which uh, he doesn't want us there, and that's why he gave his son. And uh, yes, I, I, I do think a lot about eternity. I think it's part of it is getting older and uh, uh, knowing that you are ever nearer but there's never a time we aren't near, as I said, just one breath away from eternity. The Lord took my wife, Beneth, to heaven four years ago. And uh, the great consolation to me has been ever since uh, thinking often of eternity. She, she yet lives. God didn't create us uh, to die. Sin uh, has brought death. Sin, when it's finished, the Bible says, brings forth death. 
He created us to live eternally. Mm. And uh, he created us to live with him eternally. So greatly does he love us. But if we choose sin, and uh, we all do, it's appointed a man wants to die, and after this, the judgment. And uh, God created us to live eternally. We will live somewhere eternally. That life starts when we're born into this world. And the next stop is eternity in heaven or eternity in hell. Well, we are looking forward to... um hearing from the word this Sunday and honored that you'd be able to join us. For those that um, maybe aren't familiar or haven't been around Harvest, Dr. Bob is the chancellor at Bob Jones University, which is in Greenville, South Carolina, and Harvest has had long connections with the ministry at Bob Jones and, uh, and was the president for I was trying to count up the numbers. Is it 34 years? Yes, right. 34. So you be, uh, became the president in 1971 and uh, and then through the next 34 years, right? That's right. President. Long time. <laughs> a few years. We'll talk about that in a second. And you're here uh, with the wife God brought to you, Karen, um, and we're uh, just so thrilled that she's able to be here, and I know you're anxious to, to be able to introduce her to us and to Guam. She has an interesting family story connected with Guam, right? Yes, she does. Uh, Karen is an only child. Her father was with a group of three or 400 Navy guys who were here prior to uh, the invasion. And uh, that group of men was taken from Guam when it fell to four years in a Japanese prison camp during the entire Pacific War. Uh, She was five years old when her father died. There was 19 years between her mother and her father. So she barely knew him and has longed for all these years to uh, have this connection. And uh, yesterday, as uh, you and Faith drove us around, it was one of the most uh, important days of her life. Mm-hmm. She will never forget it. Uh, the Plaza Espanza and uh, all these various places where her father actually put his feet mm-hmm. on this island has just uh, been so good for her to enjoy. And uh, she taught um, English 35 years at Bob Jones University. She came as a sixth grader because we have an elementary school that her mother heard of down in Florida and drove her all the way to South Carolina and put her in the sixth grade. And her mother lived there with her until she was in the uh, sophomore in high school. And then she went into the dormitory on campus for the college students. And her mother moved back to uh, continue her uh, nursing career. But Except for four years to get her advanced degree, she's lived her life at the school. She was a friend of my wife. And uh, so after uh, the Lord took Beneth uh, through a series of long events, which I don't have time to tell, uh, God uh, started something happening in our hearts and, and brought us together. Yeah, it's a sweet story and an amazing story of her father being here uh, I remember when we met a couple of years ago um, 
and you introduced, and she talked about Guam and this connection. We were, Faith and I really did feel privileged to be walking around with you, and we could feel the weight on uh, on your wife, on, on Mrs. Jones, as she walked those steps that uh, her dad did, you know, before 1941, um, and then the reality of, you know, he was one of just a few hundred that were here uh, when that invasion took place, and so it really was amazing kind of thinking through it through her eyes and his eyes, so we're glad that she's able to be here with Thank you. Thank you. It was a very, very wonderful day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, we're thrilled to uh, be able to spend this week with you, and um, I thought it'd be interesting just to maybe ask you some questions about about life, about ministry, about God's um, God's work in your life as you've served Him. Maybe I could start by asking you just how would you describe um, sort of your life mission as you look at uh, what God has done? Is there any way you'd kind of encapsulate what God has used your life for? Uh, To help prepare the next generation of Christian servants in all walks of life. We have 94, I think, today uh, majors from uh, engineering to biology to languages to education and business and pre-med and just about the whole array of majors that any liberal arts university would would offer but we consider that regardless of their major we're training them for ministry mm-hmm. so we have uh, some 40 countries around the world uh, represented in the student body many from from guam and um uh, all, all of the states normally every year uh, all the u.s states are represented in the student body and um, my grandfather, when he founded the school, was an evangelist. Uh, some people listening may even know the name of Billy Sunday, who was the converted baseball player. Mm-hmm. And uh, he and my grandfather were good friends. One of our dormitories is named Nell Sunday for Billy's wife. And there's a great relationship. That there, were, there were some evangelists in America in the teens and 20s who would be invited into a town to preach for three to six weeks, once in the afternoon, once in the evening. I I know this sounds unbelievable considering the spiritual state of America today, Mm. but this was a great day when God was moving in the hearts of men and women. And uh, they would put up, the city would put up a a pole barn, open-sided barn, sawdust on the floor, rather uncomfortable benches, and (laughs) Every afternoon and every evening for several weeks, this evangelist, whoever he might be, would come and preach Christ. The next day, and we have numerous, voluminous copies of of these newspapers from my grandfather's era, they would, the the, the city would publish the complete uh, message preached the Mm. day before, twice, preached the day before. And so multitudes came to Christ, churches would get started, it was in that era that he saw young people uh, going to hell through, uh, through college doors and having their faith and their morals destroyed at college. And he said there ought to be a place where they can get the finest in academics and the finest in high culture and uh, take that out and put their lives to use for Christ. So the little school started in North Florida at that time with 86 students the first year. 
Our highest enrollment was 6,000 students in 1980. A lot of that was due to the demographics of the high school age young people in America at that mm-hmm. time. But um, so for 90, we'll start our 97th year next wow. fall. Yeah. God has just continued to keep the young people coming. We, we, we have basically a student body that comes from Bible-believing churches all across the world. And um, so preparing them to be uh, to live a sanctified gospel life uh, when they graduate and to go into all walks of life and be influencers for Jesus Christ in the world. That's been our mission, our faculty's mission. It's really interesting thinking about the spanning of that nearly 100 years. Um, you talked about your grandfather and uh, those amazing, you know, tent meetings and um, the saw. I was just thinking about the sawdust that was, you know, so that the mud wouldn't, you know, be over. And if I remember this right, you'd know this better. They would talk about, uh, you know, people responding as walking the sawdust trail, right? That's correct. And the media, because of the emphasis of the university on training young people in high culture, the finest of literature, art, and music, as being part of a well-educated life, some newspaper man said that uh, Bob Jones and his meetings put a red carpet on the sawdust trail. (laughs) And that that kind of stuck. Uh, But yes, they walked the sawdust trail to come forward and receive Christ. What an amazing era that was. We're thankful that God is continuing to draw people to to himself across the generations. And in some ways, I mean, even today, you know, here on Guam, and I know in many other places, uh, we're having the privilege of see people put their faith in Christ. And we don't have a sawdust trail, but, in, you know, symbolically, many people are, you know, walk that trail to give their lives to Jesus and respond to his grace. No, but you have a beautiful carpet <laughs> in the aisles of your church. I was just over there a few minutes ago. <laughs> it really is amazing thinking about, you know, the, the work of God and, uh, you know, over the years and, of course, our history of believers goes back longer than that, but even these last 100 years of what God's doing. As you look uh, back, uh, what are the things that you would feel the most proud of? And I, I thought about that question, and I, don't, I, I know the humility that you'd look at life. I don't, I don't mean in that way, but as you just kind of look back on your ministry, are there some highlights that you'd say, boy, I was really thankful God used me, used us in this way? At lunch today, we were talking about the Larry King programs, many of them in the 80s, early 80s, and then in the early 2000s. No time to go into the long history of all that, but God opened a door for me to be with Larry King when he was still just on radio in the early 80s from uh, midnight till 3 a.m. over a, a, a network that covered America. He had a call-in talk shows, and the school was going through some uh, issues that were in the national media at that time, and he had me there and uh, was a very kind man. He, he refused to let those callers, who would be pretty ugly, uh, to, to let them uh, curse and threaten and whatever. And then again, in the uh, in the from about 2000 to 2004 or five, 
uh, he let me have numerous opportunities on his television program to be uh, a part of a discussion or even just a, a solo guest with the entire hour of his program. And uh, the thing that made it most enjoyable for me was that I asked the Lord to help me because it's not a comfortable arena uh, in that circumstance because you know there are going to be some hard questions. Mm -hmm. But uh, with many people praying each time, I was able to be on five, six, seven times in those four years. Um, uh, I said, Lord, I, I, I'll do it if you'll help me to uh, know what to say and if you'll give me opportunity to to preach Christ. And on each of those programs, there was the opportunity, sometimes lasting five, six, or seven minutes uninterrupted, mm. <laughs> <laughs> to speak of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, his bodily resurrection of the grave, the authority and reliabilities of the scriptures, and all of those things. And I could see the look in Larry's eye change, this bodily posture changed. And it was just a golden opportunity uh, to, to speak, to preach Christ to millions. And uh, there was another instance uh, back in the, in the 80s when this controversy was swirling that um, oh, Phil Donahue from Chicago, who was uh, kind of the television guru talk show in America, and very liberal, very brusque, uh, irreverent sort of guy. And that they, for two weeks, their program people would call and say, we want you on the program. I said, I'm not coming. You, you're nothing but a circus. There's nothing substantive that you ever discuss. You turn everything into mockery. I, I, I'm not coming. Well, they would call almost daily and say, we want you to come. So after a while, I finally wised up and said, well, Lord... Uh, I don't want to go, and, and they won't be quiet. Uh, maybe I'm supposed to go. <laughs> so I started praying, Lord, you've got to show me because I don't want to be there. Well, one thing led to another, and I went. And about five minutes into the hour, sitting across the desk like you and I are, he said, Bob, are you telling me that when I die, I'm going to hell? <laughs> I said, yeah, Larry, you are. And so is everybody else who dies without a personal saving faith in Jesus Christ. He turned as white as a sheet, and the whole rest of the hour was about the gospel. Mm -hmm. It was the most wonderful thing. And what I didn't know until a few weeks later, there was a group from a, a junior college in Chicago from which uh, the program emanated that had been invited to the program that day. And before I went out, which I did not know, I'm glad I did not know at the time, the producer had gotten up and he'd whipped this crowd into a frenzy. He read the rule book, said, you ever hear more stupid rules than this at this religious college? When he gets out here, you give it to him, you tell him what you think and blah, blah, blah. So I went out like a uh, into the arena with the lions. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, it was amazing. And uh, so... We talked a lot about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And when I mentioned the saving grace of Christ, the atmosphere in that room turned ice cold and hostile. 
I never have been in such an arena before or since. And I remember this one woman from that junior college stood up and said, you mean to tell me that if I go into a burning building and rescue 100 people at the risk of my life, God's not going to let me into heaven for that act of charity? I said, no, ma'am. No one goes on the merits of himself. It's by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and his merit, not yours, that you will get into heaven. They booed. They hissed. Uh, it was it was fierce. But interesting thing, I'm, I'm sitting there later in the program on the edge of a platform, and maybe four feet from me is the first row of the, the guests. And there were five ladies there from Wisconsin who two years before had applied and received their tickets to that program, having no idea, of course, what it course. would be about. And during one of those breaks, I would, uh, I would during each of those breaks, I would chit-chat with those ladies and so forth. And during one of them, one lady looked at me and she said, you know, we all are church ladies. We go to such and such a church. But if what you're saying is true, we are not Christians at all. And I said, no, ma'am, no church is going to take us to heaven. God brought you here to know that the way of heaven is the grace of Jesus Christ and uh, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. And I've often thought about those ladies. I wonder if any of them came to know Christ as a result of that interaction. So there's some things like that over the years. God's been so good to let me have a a part in. Well, you've had a fascinating life, and uh, we were talking earlier just about a unique opportunity, I think, to influence generations of servants and and those that would go with the gospel. As you as you see it now, look back on you know on those influences, but then you look at the the current and the future. What do you see? What are you encouraged by by the hope of? Uh, you know, the next generation, what's the hope for the church for, you know, what God could do in the future if, if the Lord would tarry from coming back? Well, hope is a wonderful word. In the gospel, we have hope. <laughs> uh, not a cross your fingers and hope to die kind of hope, obviously, right. but a hope based on the promises of God, which don't fail. Um, I, I'm both encouraged and discouraged um, there are students today who have been lived very broken lives through high school, very wicked lives, sensual and uh, immoral lives, and they get saved. And then they come to get trained in this Christian environment so unlike their past. It's like leaving here and going to the moon or something in the difference. And... They really mean business for God. They love God. They're glad that they're redeemed children of God. But even though the Lord takes our sins and puts them behind his back to be remembered no more, separates our sins as far as the east is from the west, even though we're justified in in God's sight, which means the, the record is expunged, no record we were ever guilty of sin, and because of the efficacy of Christ's redemptive Uh, salvation they have a hard time forgiving themselves or forgetting the past Mm. 
and they struggled so greatly. How could God use me? How could God do anything with me? I, I'm so stained with sin at such an early age in life. And so it's a struggle for many of these young people. You know, through technology, young people are exposed today with the, the crudest, the most vile, the wicked influences of this world that uh, people who got saved out of a drunkard's ditch or a harlot's life at the age of 40 or 50, these kids have experienced all the guilt and shame of their sinful past, and it takes a long time for them to realize that I'm justified. There's no record in God's heaven that I ever committed those sins. The blood of Christ has erased them, mm, and they'll never be brought up to me again. And so I'm very hopeful that there are young people who want to make something good and noble out of their saved lives, but they struggle so greatly, and that's a very sad thing. I wanted to ask you uh, one last question, and maybe I should have given you a heads up on it. Um, it's not a gotcha question, uh, but, um, but maybe just off the top of your head actually might be more interesting. How, how would you assess success in life? That is a great question. <laughs> and I'm sure that many listening have asked that same question of themselves or of others. Uh, I'm going back to my grandfather, the founder of the university that I heard preach since I was just very young. Um, he said, success is finding God's will for your life and doing it. Hmm. That sounds simplistic in a way, but it really is the answer. If, if God created man and the Bible says we are the creation of God. We are not here by some uh, spontaneous uh, explosion or some evolutionary accident. God created man to fellowship with him. Sin entered the garden. God said to Adam and Eve, now that tree you cannot partake of. All the rest is yours in this garden. They disobeyed God. And God had said, the day you eat that tree, you shall die. You shall begin to die. Sin entered the world. And the purpose for which man was created was broken and is still broken apart from the Lord Jesus dying for our sins and restoring us through himself to his Father. Success is knowing that I have been redeemed from my fallenness and I have a new life to live in the sight of God that is without guilt and shame and that getting as close to him as I possibly can and that's why he gave us his word that we might know him we can't know God if he hasn't told us who he is so being redeemed getting to know the Redeemer, and then living life the way the Bible tells us he intended for us to live before sin had separated us from him. My grandfather used to say, you can tell a man in five minutes, just that simple thing that I just shared, you can tell him in five minutes how to get to heaven, but most of the Bible is written to teach him how to live after 
he comes to know Christ mm-hmm. as his Savior. So God's not left us without answers. He tells us exactly what life was created to be. And thank the Lord through Christ, we are restored to live it his way. I'm glad I asked it. Um, I love that answer. Finding God's will and doing it. Yes. And it's been the same answer for your preacher family for three generations. It really is a generational answer that will be the same answer, truth, generations to come. Amen. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for sharing your life over these many times I, you know, that you've been here at Harvest, the influence you and your family have had. We're so grateful and honored to have you with us here during these days. Thank you. I feel very much at home at Harvest. It has a warm spot in my heart. Amen. Well, thank you for listening to Harvest Time. Of course, we always take this opportunity at the end of the program to invite you again to services at Harvest Baptist Church. Uh, We're going to meet at 8.45 a.m. and 10.45 a.m. this Sunday morning. Dr. Bob Jones III will be speaking. You're going to enjoy that want to be there. Uh, We have our live stream at 10.45 a.m. That's also when we have our Japanese and Korean translation at that 10.45 a.m. service. Thanks again for listening to Harvest Time.